You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. I mean it when I say to you, you guys, sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks. You're supposed to be good. I'm in my office every day and somebody comes in and they're like, hey, whoops. I'm like, don't. Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it. The word of the Lord. And welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado, where, at least in my house, we want to talk about everything. I want to talk about everything. That little sketch at the top was from a YouTube channel called Friend Dog Studios. Go check out the video. It is funny. Very, very funny. But today being Sunday, (laughs) it's all the funnier because that is a way to not preach. That is a way to not deliver a sermon right there. Also, it being July 24th, 2022, I'll just throw in a quick word that in a week, our oldest son, Josiah, turns 15 years old. It's hard to believe Yes, indeed, he will be 15 years old. And I don't know quite what we'll do to celebrate just yet. We're going to have to figure that out. But he is a fine young man, intelligent, well-spoken, thoughtful, considerate, and he is going places. Of that, I am sure. Pray for him in the coming year as he is going to be Next week, 15 going on 16. Right now, he is 14, almost 15. 15 going on 16, pretty wild and crazy. But a quick story about that clip at the top of the episode. So I watched that a few years ago. I I don't even remember when first. I've seen it a couple of times. But the first time I watched it, it struck me as especially funny And then it just so happened because this is the way I operate. It's the way my mind works. I speak in movie quotes. I was having a conversation with my wife and kids at home after having seen this the first time. And I quoted in passing the sketch. And I said, "Ah, you know, I'm not supposed to say 
who's the worst, or I took a vow not to say who's the worst, but it's Dan. And so I said this, but the mistake I had made was that I had not looped my sons in on the video. And it also just so happens that one of my sons, being named Dan, uh, he didn't realize that this is actually a line from this video. And he was younger. This was not just yesterday or even a year ago. This was a few years ago. But Dan, my son, burst into tears because he's a sensitive soul and he loves people. And of course, he wants to be loved by his parents. And so for him to think that I was saying seriously that he is the worst was just instantly devastating. He bursts into tears. And then I realized my I realized my mistake. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. Hey, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. I wasn't talking about you. No, no, no. Okay. Let, I should have done this first, but let's watch this video and then I'll explain. And so we watched the video. And as soon as he realized that I wasn't talking about him, his mood immediately changed. And yes, his eyes were still moist, but now he was smiling and he was very much relieved that we don't think he's the worst. He's definitely not the worst. We definitely don't think that he's the worst. But this relates to another thing, <laughs> one among uh, many, as part of talking about everything that I want to talk about in this episode. And that is something I learned about this morning from Michael Knowles. I was watching his show this morning as I was getting yesterday's episode about pacifism and peacemaking published to the website. I was watching Michael Knowles and he was talking about how Tom Cruise was right. Tom Cruise was right. And you might be wondering to yourself, what about? Well, turns out, I didn't know this, but Tom Cruise did an interview with Matt Lauer on the Today Show back in 2005, as he was promoting War of the Worlds, his latest Steven Spielberg film he had starred in. They get to talking about another recent public event he had been at or interview he had been at or show he had been on, where he was criticizing Brooke Shields for admitting to being on antidepressants. And so Matt Lauer wanted to talk with Tom Cruise about this. And in that way that only media personalities can, Matt Lauer was goading and trying to passively, aggressively uh, insinuate certain things about Tom Cruise and his characterization, basically trying to open it up for Tom Cruise to apologize, to admit that he was in the wrong and to do the whole thing where celebrities very often hat in hand admit that even though they really do or did think such and such a thing, they are very, very sorry for having hurt this or that community by their statements, which were ignorant and they've since become educated and now they know better and please forgive me. And I've learned a lot through this and please don't cancel me. Please allow me to still have a career please allow me to still make money. Please allow me to still show my face in public, yada, yada, yada. So Matt Lauer is doing this thing where 
he's asking these questions and he's implying certain things about how judgmental, essentially, Tom Cruise is to criticize psychopharmaceuticals. And Tom Cruise is just not having it. And I'm going to play for you a, a clip here of that interview because I went and I looked it up. Michael Knowles played a little bit of it on his show. I want to play a little bit more because I think more context is better here in unpacking what's at the root. But some interesting things have just been reported by a big study that was done on chemical imbalances that is at the root of what Tom Cruise got into hot water 17 years ago for talking about. But here is Tom Cruise and Matt Lauer from 2005. Take a listen. I've never agreed with psychiatry, ever. Uh, before I was a Scientologist, I never agreed with psychiatry. And then when I started studying the history of psychiatry, I started realizing more and more why I didn't agree with psychiatry. And as far as the Brooke Shields thing is, look, you got to understand, I really care about Brooke Shields. I, I think here's a, a, a wonderful and talented woman. And uh, I want to see her do well. And I know that uh, psychiatry is, is a pseudoscience. But, t- but Tom, if she said that this particular thing helped her feel better, whether it was the antidepressant or going to a counselor or a psychiatrist, isn't that enough? Matt, you have to understand this. Here we are today where I talk out against drugs and psychiatric abuses of electric shocking people, mm-hmm. okay, against their will, of drugging children with them not knowing the effects of these drugs. Do you know what Adderall is? Do you know Ritalin? Do you know now that Ritalin is a street drug? Do you understand that? The difference is no, this was no, not Matt, against Matt, her I'm will, ask, though. Matt, but this wasn't Matt, against your question. Will. Matt, I'm asking you a question. I understand Do, there's no, abuse of all of these things. No, you see, here's the problem. You don't know the history of psychiatry. I do. Aren't there examples, and might not Brooke Shields be an example of someone who benefited from one of those drugs? All it does is mask the problem, Matt. And if you understand the history of it, it masks the problem. That's what it does. That's all it does. You're not getting to the reason why. There is no such thing as a chemical imbalance. So in postpartum a body. depression to you is, is Matt, kind of a little psychological goo- gobbledygook? No, no, I did not say that. I'm just asking what you no, what would you no, call it? Abs- that Matt, that is that post now now you're talking about two different things. But that's what she went on the no. antidepressant for. But what happens the antidepressant, all it does is mask the problem. There's ways of vitamins and through exercise and various things. I'm not saying that that isn't real. That's not what I'm saying. That's an alteration of what, what I'm saying. I'm saying that drugs aren't the answer, that these, these drugs are very dangerous. They're mind-altering, antipsychotic drugs. And there are ways of doing it without that so that we don't end up in a brave new world. The thing that I'm saying about Brooke is that there's misinformation, okay? And she doesn't understand the history of psychiatry. She, there, she doesn't understand in the same way that you don't understand it, man. But a little bit what you're saying, Tom, is you say you want people to do well, but you want them to do well by taking the road that you approve of, as opposed to a road that may work for them. No. No, I'm not. And we'll just go ahead and call that good. (laughs) So it gets testy, right? It gets testy in the interview back and forth from 2005 between Matt Lauer and Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise is an intense guy, and this actually relates to... 
what we talked about yesterday with pacifism and peacemaking and turning the other cheek. Don't be so easily baited because manipulative people can get you all wrapped up when you're saying something that's worthwhile and they want to torpedo the point and discredit you. They want to get you off balance. They want to get you aggravated. They want to goad you, get under your skin to where no longer will people remember what it is that you said or give it any credibility. They will instead remember that you lost your cool. They will remember that you got agitated, you got impatient, you got irritable, you got angry. But do pay attention to what Tom Cruise is saying there about psychopharmacology, about psychiatric drugs. What he is saying, according to Michael Knowles, has just been proven correct. He almost lost his career back in 2005 for saying these things. A lot of people were upset, but nevertheless, it would seem that this recent study has proven him correct. So from thehill.com, the article is depression likely not caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain, study says. Here's a quote from the article by Joseph Guzman from July 21st. Many people take antidepressants because they have been led to believe their depression has a biochemical cause, but this new research suggests this belief is not grounded in evidence. A couple of high points, bullet points, story at a glance items from the top of the article. Researchers from University College London conducted an umbrella review of past meta-studies and systematic analysis of depression's relationship to serotonin. For years, a chemical imbalance of serotonin has been widely viewed as the culprit for depression, resulting in the widespread use of antidepressants. The study published this week in the journal Molecular Psychiatry concluded that there's no clear evidence that serotonin levels or serotonin activity is responsible for depression. That is what Tom Cruise was saying 17 years ago. He almost got canceled for it. He narrowly avoided that. He still has his career intact by and large, but that's what he was trying to say 17 years ago. But he wasn't just saying, notice this, he wasn't just saying we shouldn't give men, women, children psychiatric drugs. He wasn't just saying that this whole idea of chemical imbalance is bunk or that psychopharmacology will correct a chemical imbalance. He wasn't just saying that that's bunk. He was also saying very clearly, there are other things that we can do from a nutrition standpoint, from a diet and exercise standpoint, from a supplements standpoint, from a lifestyle and attitude and mindset standpoint that will have far less in the way of a negative impact, a negative consequence, negative side effect, and isn't the ideal, this is the question he asks of Matt Lauer, isn't the ideal that nobody would have to take these drugs? Can we just can we establish that instead of defending people's precious feelings against being told, hey, you don't need this stuff, it's damaging, there's a better way. Instead of focusing on that, 
can we just focus for a second on the ideal being that nobody would have to take these drugs? And of course, Matt Lauer really, really briefly says, yeah, of course, of course. But let's go back to what I want to talk about and my framing of this and my spinning of it and my playing gotcha here. But what Tom Cruise was saying is exactly correct. If the ideal is that nobody would be on these drugs because they do have side effects, sometimes as bad or worse than the condition they're meant to treat or to mask, the symptoms they're meant to cover up and mitigate, then that's where we should focus our attentions. But on a related note, and we'll come back to this question of pharmaceuticals, psychopharmacology, Ritalin, antidepressants. My wife sent me a link to a post at boardpanda.com yesterday. And the title of the post is 30 Teachers Share the Main Differences Between Students Then and Now. And there's a little bit of a screenshotted, snapshotted image from Ask Reddit. Teachers slash professors of Reddit. What is the difference between students of 1999, 2009, 2019? This piece was put together by Victoria Osikate and Lucia Odamite. Weird names. Uh, Maybe Scandinavian. Probably Scandinavian. We do suspect that kids are different these days than when we were in school. There are many reasons for it, from generational differences to technological advancement. The children of today and those of two decades ago are not just years, but rather light years apart. But there are people who experience this change firsthand. They are teachers, educators, and professors who have devoted their lives to raising little daredevils into rebellious or not teens, helping them to discover their identities, strengths, and weaknesses. They are the ones who have spent the most time with the youngsters, and they surely have collected a lot of observations on their way. Quote, teachers, professors of Reddit, blah, 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 the thing that I read for you before. Now, before we get into 1 through 30, uh, just some high points from each of these, notice that the two authors of this post at boardpanda.com are admitting that teachers are the ones raising these children. Okay. This is the chief contention or central to the chief contention of my book. And this is why we homeschool. You can go check it out, order it from anywhere books are found online. And this is why we homeschool, ladies and gentlemen. These two are not passing judgment. They're just making a self-evident claim that teachers and professors are the ones raising our children. And also note... (laughs) They are devoting their lives to raising little daredevils into rebellious teens. So that is to say, the expectation is that kids are going to be rebellious. Rebellious against whom? Against their parents. Against traditions. Against norms. This is the progressive model of public schooling that John Dewey had in mind. And as I explain in my book, you can trace it back to Frederick the Great The Prussian model of public education is what we've adopted here in the United States. You can trace Frederick the Great's model, his vision for public schooling, back through the Enlightenment to 
Plato's Republic. This idea of taking children from their parents so that they can be raised by philosophers so that when they grow up, they are these enlightened citizens who transfer their filial devotion to their parents, as would be natural. They transfer that onto the state and to the public. That's why they are public schools, is so that these kids can regard the public good as being more important than or as important as children in times past would have regarded their parents and their family. But some of the answers here, some of the answers here from teachers and professors are just heartbreaking. I am very sad about this. I say casually, this is why we homeschool. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to be insensitive. This is why we homeschool. But consider some of these answers. The first one, and I quote, I've taught and I'm still teaching elementary, mainly first to third since the mid nineties differences. She's got four, I presume four. One, many more obese kids. I'm talking obese at age six, not just a little chubby either. Two, many more attention problems, not just the severe ones, ADD, ADHD, but kiddos who just have trouble focusing. Now, I don't want to hear a lot of backlash from non-teachers who say we mean teachers expect kids to sit all day and work. My students change activities frequently. They are allowed to stand instead of sit. We also do quite a bit of hands-on stuff. But over the years, I've noticed a huge problem with focusing and getting things done. Three, kids don't read as much. They spend free time on electronic devices. It's addictive and I'm guilty too. I love to read, but I find myself here on Reddit or elsewhere on the internet instead of actually reading books. But I'm 49. These kids need to read. They need to read books. Four, their vocabulary and speaking skills are lacking. Why? Well, the speech language teacher at my school gave her theory. She worked in the private sector over the summer Parents would drop off their young kids to her and sit in the lobby on their phones, as we all do. Over the summer, she would assess these kiddos, and most of them were of normal intelligence and ability. So why are the kiddos severely behind in speaking and language skills? She claims that parents are not speaking enough to their children. We adults spend so much time on our phones and laptops and are not having enough conversations with our children. I have to agree with this 15 to 20 plus years ago. We were all not glued to our phones. People conversed more with their kids in the past. And this is a really, really important point. Don't miss how central this is. Ask yourself some questions. Okay. One, why are there many more obese kids? Okay. What's that about? And what does that say? Is it all genetic? Is it just, hey, obesity runs in my family? Or is it nobody runs in my family? We don't work out. We don't exercise. We don't get active. We don't do physical things. We're not playing sports. We're not getting after it. Is that what it is? Why so much more? Well, it could be part of the reason why we are not in good physical shape is because we're not doing anything other than sitting there on our phones and on our smart devices and on our video games. We are being entertained, but we are not exercising. We are not getting fit. We are not being active. Both and. That's pretty easy. Number two point for her, many more attention problems. Also here, (laughs) she says it's not just the severe ones. So the severe ones, the ones with a severe attention problem, she puts in parentheses, ADD, ADHD, attention deficit disorder, 
attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. But kiddos who just have trouble focusing, you know what? I would say that's all of your ADD, ADHD kids. They have trouble focusing. It's a spectrum. It's not all or nothing. The ones that are the most severe, you slap a diagnosis on like Tom Cruise was talking about, and then they get prescribed Ritalin. And as he asks very pointedly of Matt Lauer, who's trying to continue on the normalization of deviance with regards to Ritalin and antidepressants and psychopharmacology, and who knows what kind of sweetheart advertising deals are at stake for the Today Show back in 2005 and on up to the present that they wouldn't want to jeopardize. But we slap a label on kids who are having a hard time paying attention, and then we give them a prescription. Or if that becomes untenable at a certain point because they literally all have attention problems, then what? And notice, this teacher is not saying, here's what we need to do about it. She's not even saying, here's what it's due to necessarily. She's just saying, hey, this is an observation. I've been teaching for 20 plus years. There are a lot more problems with paying attention now. Could that be in part because they're obese, because their minds are engaged with being entertained, their smart devices, and they're not getting up and physically engaging with the world? Could it be because it's very easy when you're in control of an electronic device, which is meant to keep hitting that dopamine rush and you get stuck on something, you can just turn off the game, throw the controller, switch to something else. You're in complete control and you can just opt out as soon as it gets challenging. Could that be what it is? You can just jump online, look for the cheats, look for the walkthrough guide, watch somebody else play through that on YouTube, come back and beat it again if you feel like it. Could that be part of the attention problem here that screens are babysitting and raising kids as much or more than the teachers and the educators and the system? I think so. Point number three, kids don't read as much. Well, yeah, as she says, they spend all their free time on electronic devices. And she says, I'm guilty too, (laughs) but I'm 49. These kids need to read. You know, actually, here's the thing. You being 49 doesn't mean you don't need to read. You need to read. But this actually is what it is that we differentiate. We say, do as I say, not as I do. Hey, you kids, go read. Well, yeah, but mom, dad, have you read anything recently? Don't change the subject. You need to read. I don't need to read. I'm older and I get to make the rules. So I just make an exception for myself. And I lack self-control as a parent. I lack discipline as a parent. But you not having self-control and discipline, that's a problem. I lack self-control and discipline, but there's a pill for that. Or nobody calls me out on it for fear of getting canceled. But if you lack self-control and discipline, well, then we're going to take to Reddit. And we'll write a 10 to 1 ratio about just casual observations that we're ruining your life by ruining your childhood, by neglecting you, by taking the easy route, by subcontracting this all to systems and teachers and professionals and experts. And when that doesn't work to screens and when the screens don't work to meds, the kids need to read, but the parents need to read. The kids aren't reading because the parents aren't reading. I guarantee you, if the parents were reading, the kids would be reading. The parents aren't reading. And so the kids don't read. 
The parents don't require their kids to read, and so the kids don't read. You know, my wife and I discussed this after I read through the whole thing, and I was just riveted, and it was like not being able to look away from a car accident. And so we're talking about it, and I say, well, sweetie, this is why we homeschool. But also, too, even though we homeschool, we should definitely pay attention to some of the things that are being observed here and make sure that we're not doing the same thing just at home instead of it being done in the public schools. And my wife, she says, well, you know, on that point, I really, I need some help figuring out how to get some of our kids to read more for fun. Yeah, they read for school, but they really don't read for fun and we need to figure out how to do that. And I said, okay, that's simple. Actually, come to think of it. It's not complicated. We don't need an expert. We're the experts (laughs) on our kids. We're the experts. Ladies and gentlemen, when we are being asked by our kids if they can play on the Xbox, play on the computer, play on their Kindle, watch a movie, watch some YouTube, we ask them, is your schoolwork done? Is your chore done? We need to start adding the question of, have you read anything at all today for fun, for personal enrichment, for personal growth? No? Then you can't play. Go read something. Come back, tell me what you read briefly, and then we'll talk about you playing on the Xbox or the computer or the Kindle. That's how you do that. That's how you do that. And parents aren't doing that. We have not been enough, and so we should. But this is not something that the schools can force. It's not something that comes down from a system. It's not something that you can just make a pill for. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a failure of parenting. We have to drive that. We have to take ownership of it. And if we don't, well, then it will only get worse from here. However bad you think it is, it will get worse. Point number four, very much an extension. And I read through the whole list of 30. I'll put a link in the description for this episode. But these points that the first teacher lays out are repeated throughout the rest of the list again and again and again in various iterations. Point number four, their vocabulary and speaking skills are lacking. Why? (laughs) You know why. I know why. But she has to qualify it. She's not even confident giving her own theory. She has to give the speech and language teacher at her school as a reference. Because again, even the experts don't feel comfortable without having other experts. It becomes this ad infinitum absurdity. Parents are not speaking enough to their children. Or, and I like the way she puts it this way better, they're not having enough conversations with our children. I have to agree with this, she says. We are not having enough conversations with our children. It isn't just that you need to talk to your children more. It's that you need to talk with your children more. You need to have dialogue. They cannot learn to be conversational unless they practice with you, moms and dads. My kids are fairly conversational. They learned it because we are having conversations with them. Did I mention, and this is why we homeschool? This is why we homeschool. Our kids do not lack for a vocabulary and speaking skills. And you can get butthurt about that if you want, saying that I am putting myself up on a pedestal, just like Matt Lauer is trying to corner 
Tom Cruise, oh, you're making a value judgment. You know, why are you insisting everybody's got to do it the way that you want them to do it? I'm sorry. I thought we followed the science. <laughs> I guess only when it makes the Today Show money, only when it makes Matt Lauer money. There's not a lot of money in take some vitamins, pay more attention to what you're eating, exercise more, talk with your kids more. You know, I won't read for you the whole list of 30, but I will say if you scroll down through this whole list, you will see a lot of references to kids being suicidal, self-harm, cutting, depression, anxiety. These kids are terrified of making a mistake. We've moved on from helicopter parenting, which is awful, by the way. Yes, you should know where your kids are at and what they're doing. No, you should not hover over them 24-7. That's not healthy. You are not being a healthy parent and they are not being healthy children if you are literally just hovering over them all the time. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. But now we've got a new term. It wasn't enough that helicopter parenting was bad. We've moved on to what these teachers again and again are calling lawnmower parenting, which is to say any obstacle that comes up for their kids, the parents are in this mad dash to knock down for their kids so that their children don't encounter and overcome challenges. As a result, the kids are handicapped. They don't form character. They don't develop resilience. They don't develop mental toughness. They don't develop perseverance. James in the New Testament talks about how we should consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. Christian parents have no excuse. You can't just say, oh, well, everybody's doing it. You know what? Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Argumentum ad hominem is not just a logical fallacy. It's also very, very often in the biblical text, a pathway to wickedness, disobedience, rebellion, sin, folly, and ultimately destruction. One of the things that is prophesied about John the Baptist is from the prophet Malachi in the Old Testament, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, him in this context being Christ, the Messiah. John, who is going to be born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, will go before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's talking about action. That's talking about intentionality. That's talking about our need to care, to be personally invested in our children. It does not say of John the Baptist that he will turn the hearts of the public school teachers and administrators to the children. It does not say that he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the educrats and the psychiatrists and the pharmaceutical companies and the, speaking of canceled, disgraced morning talk show hosts to their children. No, the fathers, <clears throat> fathers, given that this episode is part of a podcast which has as its primary audience 
three to one, young men, whether you have children or you don't have children, your children, when you have them, if you have them, are your children. You have to be invested. You have to pay attention. You have to be intentional. You have to care. You've got to get in there and get engaged. You have to. And that is actually part of the general preparation of the people for the Lord. That is part of the making ready. Mary Eberstadt's great, this great book she wrote, I want to say it was back in 2013, How the West Really Lost God. And she talks about how we have become so secular. Did we see the marriage rate dropping, the divorce rate rising, the birth rate dropping, child suicide rising over the past 50 years because of secularism? Or have we seen secularism rising and these other trends as well going up and down in very concerning ways where our civilization's survival is concerned? Because men have given up on marriage and given up on raising their children. She argues it's the latter. And yet the prophet Malachi, as part of the promise of a blessing in this little baby being born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, says that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. That is a kind of repentance that we need very badly in the United States of America in the year 2022. And we have needed it for quite some time. And this is why we homeschool. And if that steps on your toes and it makes you feel self-conscious, it makes you feel embarrassed, it makes you feel uneasy, makes you feel anxious, don't take a pill for it. Search the scriptures. Be a Berean about it. See whether I'm correct. See whether God's word proves these words true. I read through this list, that bored panda, and I see it being presented as a positive that, as point number two explains, students are less homophobic by a long shot, or where kids are homophobic, they can't be open about it. And there's a total lack of self-awareness from this teacher who's been teaching high school since 1993. She says in the next paragraph, students talk about things like depression and mental illness more Whether the prevalence rate for things like depression actually is higher or not, I don't know, but it's more talked about. Here's the test. Are we seeing the suicide rate go up? Are we seeing the suicide rate go up among kids, among high schoolers? Are we seeing instances of self-harm going up among teenagers and middle schoolers? Dating in an unofficial sense, her second to last paragraph, doesn't seem to occur anymore. Just seems like friends with benefits or without benefits is the typical arrangement. Mm, I need to get back to work on. And this is why we got married, by the way. (laughs) These things are related. It's an overly simplistic approach to say that it's all due to COVID. That is way too easy to just scapegoat all these problems and say due to COVID. These trends... Look at what they were prior to COVID. They were already trending this way prior to COVID. Actually, our allergic reaction to the potential of a global pandemic in COVID back in 2020 
is of a piece with the helicopter parenting, the lawnmower parenting, the big government approach to solving all problems. We have to have the experts, but you can't be an expert. You can't become an expert if you do your own research like Tom Cruise does in 2005 we're going to try and destroy your career. We're going to try and destroy you publicly until you learn your place again and go quiet. And what's needed is we recognize as fathers, especially that these children are our children and we see them as a primary conduit for revival in this country, revival in our churches, revival in our communities. It starts in the home. It starts with our children. It starts with Conversations like I was having with my wife yesterday. Practically speaking, with our specific children, how do we encourage them to read more for fun based on what we know about our children? And consider this. Students talk about depression and mental illness more. Could it be due to parents having checked out more? Could it be due to there being a pill for that? and also screen time as babysitter, and also no boundaries, always looking for the easy route as parents, amusing ourselves to death as Neil Postman wrote about in the 1980s. Could this be of a piece with hookup culture, friends with benefits or without benefits? Could it be of a piece with parents having checked out, fathers especially, and husbands, if they get married to begin with, more content to please themselves than to love and serve their wives and their children. It's interesting when you read in the New Testament, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. That's not all that goes into the family dynamic. It is not just that parents, fathers, mothers, are to be obeyed without question, without reservation, without qualification, without exception. What does it also say? Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Fathers, do not frustrate your children. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, depending on the translation. They all are saying the exact same thing, even if we're talking about synonyms here. Fathers have a duty before God to bring up their children in the fear and instruction, admonition, correction of the Lord, instead of frustrating their children, not while frustrating their children. So if your children are frustrated because every time they try and talk with you, you try and give them some electronic device so they'll go away and let you focus on your hobby, focus on entertaining yourself, focus on your social life, focus on your career, you can't be bothered here take this pill. Something's wrong with you because you're cutting into my me time, to my self-care, to my self-love. No wonder kids are depressed. No wonder they're suicidal. No wonder they're confused. No wonder they jump at the chance to announce to their wild-haired, tattooed and pierced teacher in the public school what their preferred pronouns are. Because by golly, here's finally somebody who's paying attention to me. Our children are extremely vulnerable. You may not be able to turn the whole country around, but by golly, do you have a responsibility to your children? And I keep talking with people about where the country's headed. And I note also, there is a very 
big difference in the way that I see what moves we might have available to us versus what others see. I see a fatalism where there is a almost eagerness to declare the chess game over and to say, okay, I guess that's checkmate. Good game. Among those who don't have as many kids. And it isn't to say that everybody with a big family is any better, but my perspective is very different as the father of eight. I'm thinking to myself, this country being destroyed is kind of a big deal to my kids' future health, happiness, safety, well-being. Also, what example am I setting for them? Are we making it worse? Are we helping? Dysfunctional families are very happy to say, until everyone else is doing what they're supposed to be doing, I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do. The husband says, well, until my wife pleases me more, I'm not going to serve her. I'm not going to love her. I'm not going to consider her. The wife says, until my husband pleases me more, I'm not going to serve him. I'm not going to consider him. I'm not going to respect him. I'm not going to submit to him. Both together say, until my kids start behaving, I'm going to be just awful to them. I will either neglect them or I will abuse them. But until I get what I want, until I'm happy, ain't nobody happy. I, By the way, I hate, I hate, hate, hate. I know there's some truth to it, but I hate the line, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I hate it because it sure as hell sounds like a threat. You better not make me unhappy or I'm going to make you all miserable. What's up with that? Equally so. If daddy ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. How does that sound? And because we're such an effeminate culture, it sounds way worse. But it's bad if either of those is the rule of the roost. If mama ain't happy, if daddy ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. No. We need to repent of that mindset. Insofar as there is some validity to the observation that one of our number being unhappy, suffering, impacts everyone, we each need to take a personal stake in controlling our emotions, regulating our emotions, being responsible in our choices, not abusing substances. Also, by the way, have you considered at all in relation to this? Kind of a big deal. The situation with Jordan Hall and the domestic violence investigation. There are police reports for a domestic violence incident and also for embezzling $10,000 from Fellowship Baptist Church in Sydney, Montana. And if there's any merit at all to the Xanax made me do it line, Xanax is an anti-anxiety med. Again, what are we doing that we would rather reach for a pill, we would rather reach for meds that we may become addicted to, we may become chemically dependent on. You might not have had a chemical imbalance before, studies are showing, but boy howdy, you've introduced one with the meds. And then you got to take other meds to regulate those meds. Was it worth it if you're now completely disgraced? Or could some changes in diet, exercise, lifestyle, attitude, mindset, the way you treat people, the kinds of relationships you form with people, what you believe, whether what you believe is true, have been more effective without those nasty, awful side effects? If so then shame on Matt Lauer and anyone like him for trying to cancel Tom Cruise or anyone like him when they say things like Tom Cruise was saying 
17 years ago. The year I graduated high school, by the way. <laughs> this is of a piece with the abortion and contraceptives mindset of our age. It is of a piece. No, maybe you didn't get an abortion. No, maybe the contraceptives didn't work and you got pregnant anyway. That doesn't mean that you're this selfless parent of the year. Dr. Spock set us up for failure. The secularists, the godless, the Margaret Sanger types, the sexual revolution set us up for failure. We have to stop trying to be at peace with the world. Peace with the world is enmity with God, by the way. Again, hearkening back to yesterday. yesterday's episode was about pacifism and peacemaking. Peacemaking is good. Pacifism, not so good in my view. Not as I read the scriptures. Correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm missing it, please do. But in that case, you'll have to confront me. In which case, you may be undermining your pacifism, actually, if you are, in fact, a pacifist. And I don't mean to suggest that everybody's doing this willfully, intentionally, but by golly, it is a matter of the will if we prefer to be conformed to the pattern of this world instead of transformed by the renewing of our mind in Christ Jesus. That is a matter of the will. And may God give us a will to be revived in our love for and our commitment to our children. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying his life down for her. Yes, that means sometimes you will suffer and you need to embrace suffering when that's what it means to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That means stop being so selfish and lazy and impatient and pay attention because your kids need you. It very well is, not just maybe, it is a matter of life and death for more and more kids in this country. You know, I scroll down through this and I think to myself, boy, howdy. This one teacher says, kids are not tech savvy the way we were expecting. They're tech dependent. Ooh, that's a scary thought. Also too, another point that's brought up is kids come into a computer lab class and they don't know how to use a keyboard. They've never had to use a keyboard. They've done everything on their phones. And yes, maybe to some extent, that's just the technology updating. We don't use typewriters anymore because we've got keyboards. So maybe we won't use keyboards moving forward because we'll have a keypad on our phone, on our screen. But realize what the implications are of giving these devices to our kids. And what are they not getting? It's an opportunity cost. Every hour they're playing on the Xbox is an hour they're not reading a book. And you could say, well, they don't need to read books all the time. But these kids aren't reading any books. So your argument is invalid. And again, the question needs to be asked. The hard question needs to be asked of parents. Are you just trying to justify yourself? And how far are you willing to go in justifying yourself? Maybe you're wrong in the way you've been thinking about your job as a parent. Maybe you have really, for various reasons, maybe not ill will, just following the crowd, just going with the flow, maybe you have missed it. To quote G.K. Chesterton again, a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. Only a living thing can go against it. Are you alive or are you dead, man? 
you know, I think to myself here, and I'm not trying to dishonor my father and mother, but I would say, because it's terribly relevant to my perspective on these things, I grew up with my mom on antidepressants. My mom took Prozac when I was a kid. Actually, she was on Prozac when she found out she was pregnant with my younger brother. And then she stopped taking Prozac. But I do not believe that the antidepressants were nearly so helpful as they were harmful. And I experienced that. I'm not going to go into details, but I will say I am very skeptical and I am very much inclined to agree with Tom Cruise on this point. Scientology is super weird, but he's right over the target when it comes to psychopharmacology. It was not good that my mom was on antidepressants. It is not good that so many of our kids are on antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds and Ritalin. Tom Cruise is right. Kids are way over-medicated. And it's for the same reason that they are technology-dependent and non-conversant and depressed and suicidal and overweight and anxious and needy. The kids haven't changed. The way we parent the kids has changed. And you can't blame it on the tech And you can't blame it on the diet, first and foremost. And you can't blame it on the system, first and foremost, because who put your kids into the system? You can't blame it on what's on TV or what's in their hands. Parents, moms and dads, you need to look in the mirror because you're the one who is responsible to oversee these things. The buck stops with you. And this is why we homeschool. I got to run, though. It's a Sunday afternoon. I wanted to record this episode because I think this is very important for us to grapple with. I'm sure this won't be the last of it, but take heart. He has overcome the world. Really do dig in to the relevant passages in Malachi here. Really do dig into what God's word has to say about our responsibility. There is a better way. We can have a revival, but it has to start in our hearts by God's grace, and it has to start in our homes by God's grace. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.